Welcome to the John Henry Weston Show. I've got an awesome guest today. You know him quite well. Father James Altman has been a lightning rod in the church. He's really like a John the Baptist sent during these times of darkness to show where the light is. And in light of what we're heading up to, this Sunday is Divine Mercy Sunday. I know many of you are in the midst of the Novena for Divine Mercy. There are so many aspects of Divine Mercy that are just fascinating that Father's going to get into us uh, or get into with us. But I want to focus also on one really unbelievable revelation inside the diary which gave us Divine Mercy, inside St. Faustina's diary. On the day of the birth of Pope Francis, of Jorge Maria Bergoglio, December 17, 1936, there was a fascinating diary entry inside St. Faustina's diary, The Saint of Divine Mercy. You're going to want to stay tuned to this episode. Father Altman, so good you could be with us. It is during this week, especially when we are so much in need of mercy. Uh, yeah, I couldn't ask it for a better time. Thank you for the privilege. Thank you, Father. If you wouldn't mind, uh, please lead us off in a prayer. I will. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. For our prayer, the conversion prayer, divine mercy. You expired, Jesus, but the source of life gushed forth for souls and the ocean of mercy opened up for the whole world the fount of life unfathomable divine mercy envelop the whole world and empty yourself upon us no blood and water which gushed forth in the heart of jesus is a fount of mercy for us i trust in you trust in, me. in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen, amen. Well, there wow. we are. Thank you, Father. That, 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 what a prayer. Uh, a prayer of, of mercy. So tell us, Father, Divine Mercy, what is it all about? St. Faustina, what's she all about? And uh, let's maybe start there. Okay. Well, uh, the, in order to have mercy, we need to understand that that's just not a Santa Claus coming down from his sleigh with a big bag full of presents wrapped up, of wrapped up mercy. Well, here, you need a bigger one than you. And that, that's not what mercy is. That's not how it works. And what St. Faustina, which, you know, came at a time when the world was in chaos, as it still is, uh, so much in need of mercy then as now, uh, was trying to tell us that in order to have mercy, it doesn't matter how Evil you are, no matter what you have done, though your sins be a scarlet. We're going to talk about that later on. Uh, nevertheless, repent. And what, what, and for the mercy, that's how it gets to you. That's how it is given to you. First repentance and mercy. And in fact, every single prophet, you know, you can think of Jonah as a perfect example, uh, wanted to uh, preach repent. Repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. For the sake of your eternal soul, repent. It was always repent. You know, the first words out of St. John the Baptist's mouth when he went off preaching was, repent. 
And the first words of Jesus, basically, in, in his public ministry was, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. That is the first... What does repent point. mean, Father? Ultimately, it means, and you, you hear this repentance, what that means in the, uh, the act of contrition, which is you can have, uh, oh my God, I'm heartily sorry for having offended thee. That's where it starts. Well, I'm sorry. So, I'm sorry, Lord. Uh... For having offended thee, and I detest my sins because because I fear the loss of heaven and the pains of hell. Of course, that's imperfect contrition, which we'll talk about in the parable of the prodigal son. But most of all, and here comes the most beautiful repentance. But most of all, because they've offended you, my God, we're all good and deserving of all my love. That's perfect contrition. Not many people get there. Not many people really get. We we all repent because we're afraid of the punishment part. We're, we're afraid of the consequences. Um, I mean, when in real life, when we have to repent to other human beings, it's, oh, I'm so sorry for having offended you. Sometimes a child will say that to the parent because he knows what's coming. Uh, as adults, we try to say it because we have offended somebody and we don't want the repercussions or we actually genuinely have that sort of a perfect condition where you've hurt someone and they start to cry and you know it's your fault. You can't help but say I'm sorry. I and really mean it. You know, it always sin always seems like a good idea at the time. That's why we do it. Uh, but but when we're found out, when the consequences of our bad behavior uh, take shape, it doesn't seem like such a good idea at that time. Uh, the one of the great problems we have in the world is that the consequences for sin aren't immediate. Uh, they're somewhat delayed, and uh, some of the great saints, doctors of the church have said, listen, one of, one of the things that fools people because they want to be fooled is the idea that, well, I can sin, nothing happened, therefore I can sin again. Or I can sin, then I can repent, but then I can sin again because nothing's really going to happen. Uh, I just did a, a whole talk on these great doctors of the church and how they said, don't get a little presumptuous. That's a sin in and of itself. Don't get a little presumptuous about sinning freely uh, because we, oh, first of all, we don't know the day we're going to get called out of this world, at which time, if you're just re sinning freely, it's too late. Uh, so uh, that's what repentance is to actually say, all right, uh, I was selfish and I chose to sin. And now I'm sorry, whether it's imperfect because I fear the loss of heaven or perfect because I have offended you, my Lord. And we'll get to the, the beauty of perfect contrition uh, later on in, in, our, in our talk here today. So uh, repentance, or repentance is, first of all, you have to know you've sinned and then to be sorry for it for whatever reason. And, and then actually a firm purpose of amendment, try to adjust your life not okay i'm sorry but i'm going to keep doing it uh, choosing my favorite vices we, we really have to struggle with that daily and you know it's a good thing we have that otherwise we might get a little big at it i mean the most dangerous position you're ever in is to say oh i i have conquered this sin and and i don't have to worry about it anymore oh no no that you no if you sinned in a particular area before you're uh it's like, like scars when you when you're scarred from a wound yeah you're you're sort of healed there but but it can that wound can be reopened easier 
than had it never been wounded in the first place. So never let us get presumptuous or too, a little too cocky about, I have conquered anything. Uh, because that's you're just setting yourself up for Satan. You're opening the door for Satan to attack when you don't realize, I better rely on Jesus. I better hold tightly to Jesus every single day. Better in, implore him to give me strength this day to get through the challenges, the temptations of the day. They'll, they'll come when you're least prepared for it because you haven't continued to prepare for it because you think you've conquered it. That's that's just dangerous ground. Anyway, that, one, of that those, one of question? those questions, Father, I think a lot of people have is, is that firm purpose of amendment. Right. When you go into confession and you're, you know, you're supposed to sort of, I'll never commit the sin again, so help me God. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, like, I've done this a thousand times. I've been to confession a thousand times and and I'm still doing it. Right. There's every likelihood that I'm going to do it again. I don't want right. to. Right. Does it still count? Yes. Uh, remember what is it? Act of contrition. You know, they, they, they made it all flowery and made it something it wasn't. We had the perfect act of contrition that the nuns pretty much told us. And it was, I firmly resolve with the help of thy grace, right? Which means we, we're going to need that grace every single day. It's not with the help of thy grace today. And then I'm good to go for the next month. No, no, no. I firmly resolve with the help of thy grace. Um, Father Karapi, who, uh, he had a, a brilliant uh, talk once where, uh, a woman had come into confession, and it's okay to say this, it's a general thing, so it's not revealing anything. And and we, every single priest, I can tell you, every single priest hears it as well, the same line, which is, well, I've done it all, but I keep doing the sin, Father, and, and you know, I keep, no matter what, I keep doing it. So it's that same thing you were just saying. And uh, so Father Crabby said to her, well, would you like a different set of sins? Because no matter what it is, we will always be confronted with sin in our, our our journey toward purification. We will become more and more aware the closer we get to God of our own imperfections. I, you know, I used to think, but Pope Saint John Paul II used to go to confession once a week, and I thought, what did he possibly could he possibly have done in his spirituality, in his holiness, in his sacredness, in his depth of love? In prayer, what could he possibly have done? But that's what the great saints do. The closer they get to our Lord and his pure love, the more they realize, understand their own weakness. And uh, and a recollection of those things of their whole life that uh, where they have been weak or where they have failed, where they have fallen short. So um, that... Every single one of us. Okay, to, to, and watch. Here's how to, a better way to understand it. If you ever think that you're so good that you haven't sinned, that not, I don't know a single great saint. Well, I, I know not one great saint, not one saint, has ever said something so foolish as that. Because we all have, have room for improvement until the day we die, in which case we better hope we're as improved as we're supposed to be at that point. Right? So, so I... I try to tell people, it's, it's, I use that line from Father Crappie. What would you rather have a different set of sins? Because you get, listen, you're going to get, if you think you've conquered this one, like this is a big one in your life, you think this is it, right? 
You get done with that one. Let's say through the help of thy grace, our heavenly father's grace, that you do make great strides in overcoming a particular vice, whatever vice it might be, gambling, pornography, um, what other, uh, eating, uh, uh, drink, alcohol, uh, drug addiction. Uh, if you've made great strides in that, okay, fine. But what, what our Lord does in his mercy is show you another area of your life that needs work. Uh, so if, if you're still struggling with the one, you're always going to be struggling with something. At least now you know what it is and you know how to work on it with the help of God's grace. So I, uh, what, what really gets me in the confession isn't so much that person that comes in and said, I, I still get angry with my spouse. It's really funny because oftentimes what a priest hears is the sins of the spouse, not the sin of the confessor. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, you're not here to tell me what your husband and your wife did. You're supposed to be telling me what you did. Um, and, but but what, what really is, is galling is, is somebody will come in after having not been there for six months, a year, a couple of years, and they'll say something like, well, I guess I've lost my patience a few times. And I'm thinking, buddy, I have sinned more since I got up this morning than you have in the last three years. Come on. You have not done a good examination of your conscience. Because as far as I know, you're not levitating, you know, on the grace of God. So an examination of conscience quickly reveals that we, that we are sinners. So what? That's why Jesus came. Listen, no sin, no need for salvation. No sin, no need for a savior. So uh, I'm frankly, I'm kind of glad that he came to save us, came to offer us mercy. He doesn't give it to us. He offers it to us. We have to accept it, and we accept it through our repentance. Uh, so thanks be to God, because I have a keen awareness of, uh, and I often said it, and I often need it. I think I'm the worst sinner in this room. Uh, so, yeah, when, when people have that struggle with that, that the idea that, um, that they keep doing the same things over and over again, well, that means you still got work to do. So what? Keep working. I think that answers that question. Absolutely, Father. One of the things that we experience today is that very many people are assuaged in their sins actually by sometimes priests and bishops and so on in the church who yeah. give them a skewed opinion of where the morality of the church is at. Right. The church's stances never change, even on hard issues like uh, contraception, uh, things like that. But some people have been told, actually, right. even by priests and confessional sometimes, oh, posh, posh, that's nothing. That's olden days stuff right now. Right. That's totally allowed. We've, we've developed. We've learned a lot more. <laughs> yeah. Well, get, as far as I know, and this is where Jorge Bergoglio got it so wrong, again, actual apostasy to say that the Ten Commandments are not rigid. They're not cut in stone. They're flexible. They're adjustable to our time and place. No, no, no. We that God does not conform to us. We conform to Him. And and one as as you know, my own bishop said to me, "Well, the, uh, we bishops have failed to teach people right from wrong for the last fifty years. Not only did they not teach us what was right from wrong, they actively taught us." What was wrong is right. That's what's going on in Germany and Austria right now with the full approval of the man in the white cassock. There's been no, you know, he, he's quick to, 
condemn the, the devotion of these nuns here in the United States, but he's letting those, those apostates in Germany and Austria teach absolutely absolute heresy, leading people into eternal damnation, down the broad road to destruction. He's letting that go. So, so not only are they not teaching us what is right and wrong, but they're actually teaching us what is wrong is right. And that that is absolutely inexcusable. Well, all sin is inexcusable unless we repent. But you're not going to repent of something if you don't know it's a sin. And that's where that's why they, what they're doing is is infinitely more evil than not even just telling us what's right from wrong, but, but actually teaching uh, 100% error, the, 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 opposite, the absolute opposite. Of course, when we know what St. Paul said about them in uh, Galatians chapter 1, which is, let them be accursed, let them be damned. God damns them, and he does. We're all afraid to say that. Now, it didn't used to be that way. About 50 years ago and back, the church was crystal clear, because, and it had to be because the truth is unchanged and unchangeable, right? With the, these cardinals and bishops in Germany and elsewhere don't get to make up the rules as they go just because they wear a mitre. No, no, they have one thing. They're supposed to preserve and protect the deposit of faith, not make it up as they go uh, on modern ideologies. No, no. Um, it's interesting. The scripture speaks to this when it talks about how if you, and, and they're talking about prelates, they're talking about priests and bishops. If you tell the sinner their sin, their guilt is then on them. But if you don't, their guilt is on you. Uh, or their blood, as it says, is is on your hands. Um, and I think those are strong words and, and words that really yeah, need to be heard. Ezekiel has a whole lot to say about that. I, I once did a, uh, I think it was four and a half, five pages worth of quotes about the duty of the shepherds to, to instruct the sheep about what is wrong, what is right, how to live a holy life, how to avoid leading an evil life. And scripture is just, well, from beginning to end, with that instruction, so the, the great weight upon the shepherds is uh, is what's going to drag them down if they don't do what they're supposed to do. And they're not in our day and age. They're just not, unfortunately. For, unfortunately for the people. Which is why, I get, you know, you see me get worked up about things, about these shepherds. It's because they're, they're not, not just doing their job. They're being false shepherds. They're leading, there's not being non-entities. They're leading people astray with, with absolute falsehood. You've heard me talk about that story of that family that had four kids i think they were all sons and they went to the priest and and said you know is it okay if i as a dad get a vasectomy and the priest said to them have you heard me tell this story before it's a true story it was in my in my prisoners the priest said to them well quote you have done your duty because you, you had four kids therefore it's perfectly okay if dad goes and gets a vasectomy so they can't have any more children so with the blessing of the priest, I know who he is, he's still alive. He's still preaching crazy. Uh, with the blessing of this priest, they, the dad went and got broke what clearly was working just fine, right? And later, he and his wife, are, and I've been given permission to share this story, and the people locally know exactly who I'm talking about. Uh, the, the husband and wife are sitting around the kitchen table later on. They're like looking at each other and they're saying, you know, that just wasn't right. I, I don't care what the priest said. This, this does not feel right. There's something wrong here. And they were so convicted interiorly because they examined their conscience 
in light of what the unchangeable truth and deposit of faith is. The dad went back and tried to get fixed what he had had broken, which, which doesn't always work. We can't always fix that mistake. And uh, so he went back to get it fixed. And I had the, the privilege of baptizing numbers eight and nine. And then I held number 10 in my hands for a couple hours at a school function. So, and, and I was just there at Christmas time, just a week after Christmas, and there was eight, nine, and 10 running all around because they're still littler kids. And some of the other of the 10 as well were all there. But you see that, that priest to this day has not repented of that sin. He's good. And, how, and you, you wonder how many other people has he said this to? Or how much has his uh, homilies over the decades been colored by this lie have been colored by, uh, well, colored by the lie and, and how, it is, how it has led people astray. Oh, just follow your conscience. No, you, you follow a well-formed conscience. That's the unchanged teaching of the church. You don't just get to follow your own conscience because otherwise we've got 7.2 billion people on the planet. We have 7.2 billion rights and wrongs depending on your personal opinion. No, no, no. You have to know your faith so that you can live your faith. And well, hopefully we look to shepherds who are teaching us the faith, but as you know, as Bishop Callahan said to me, we bishops have failed to teach them for the last 50 years. So that's a, that's a perfect example of, of shepherds not teaching truth, and not only just not teaching the truth, but teaching error, damnable error. I, I, well, you know, because we've talked about it, the Winnipeg Statement. How dare those bishops say what they said publicly? This is the Canadian bishop statement, for those who might not know about it. The Canadian bishops in 1969, after uh, Humanae Vitae came out, sort of made an official dissent from Humanae Vitae with a statement called the Winnipeg Statement, which even to this day actually has not been abrogated. Yeah. Is it any wonder the world's falling apart? How we don't know right from wrong, which means, which means when people go to confession, they're not confessing sin. They're not repenting of it. And, and here's the thing, you won't get to the end and God will say, well, okay, the priest or the bishop didn't tell you. Because each one of us has a duty and a responsibility that we cannot pass off to, well, the bishop or the priest said so. We, we have a duty to know our faith. And it's very simple. It hasn't, you know, these are simple matters. Because uh, it, it, it does seem to tend to revolve around the sixth commandment. Everybody pretty much realizes you don't go rob a bank at gunpoint. <laughs> No, you do not steal. Uh, well, 80% of Catholics now don't believe in the third command, keep holy Lord's Day. So look how screwed up they are in that. If you don't have to keep holy Lord's Day, you don't have much opinion of the Lord. So why should you listen to the other nine commandments? Um, but you don't hear priests and bishops saying, you don't show up for church on Sunday, not just for yourself, but as a witness of your faith to everybody else that's supposed to also be showing then you risk, you die, you get hit by a bus during that next week without going to confession. You got a problem, right? You don't, you don't hear that anymore. When I was growing up, you did. Uh, it was crystal clear because it's not all about you and your selfish self. You're showing up. Have you, have you heard me talk about my Aunt Margaret missing church? Have you heard me tell that story? Well, I had like a hundred first and second cousins, big, big family. And uh, we'd all go to church and we're all creatures of heaven. So we all sit in the same seats all the time. So you know who's where, and you, you'll walk in, and sure enough, there, there they are. And if somebody wasn't there, you knew, oh, hey, this person must need some prayer, because you, you, there, you better have a good excuse, and usually it's 
bad health, why you're not there. Well, you know, one day Aunt Margaret isn't there. Well, Aunt Margaret had a brain aneurysm. But that's a good reason to not be in church on Sunday. Better, better rise to that level or get into church. Because what a witness of faith it was to me to see Aunt Margaret up there. And as soon as she could, she was back in her seat. And to see all my other aunts and uncles, great aunts, great uncles, uh, grandma, grandma, see them in church. It's, it's a witness of faith to other people, what we do. It's not all about me. Like I, I don't just impact me. If I don't go to church, I impact everybody else that doesn't show up. How about if a priest doesn't show up? Think about it that way. Priest doesn't show up. Well, you start saying, well, priest doesn't think it's important to go to church. I guess I don't have to either, right? What, what do we just teach the people for the last two years when churches were closed? Uh, yeah, All right. sacrament of Eucharist isn't that important. Sacrament of confession, not that important. No, just make a perfect act of contrition. We know that never happens. But yeah, sorry, I got off on a tangent. No, you ask that's fine, Father. That's what so one of, the, one of the interesting things is, the understanding of, well, let's do perfect, or excuse me, imperfect contrition first. Yes. Okay. This is for the fear of the loss of heaven and the pains of hell. Right. Except I don't think people actually get what is that. When people talk about the loss of heaven, the pains of hell, most people haven't read the the description that the Fatima children gave of hell. What's a <laughs> I'm picture glad you of said hell? that, because that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so give us what what is the picture of hell that that's that people can appreciate well i can't say it any better than those children did in their description of what they saw you know it, it, people today say we can't tell children they're too sensitive i mean we're teaching first and second graders about non-binary like god didn't make male and female and you can be anything you want to be but we can't teach them about the agonies of hell uh, our blessed mother showed what were they at the time eight nine and eleven some seven seven age. i think it was more like seven eight and nine yeah there you go showed these, these little children hell and it showed the demons which looked very much like demons they also showed the people burning in the eternal fires in agony burning just like jesus said this is not some crazy picture jesus said it and our blessed mother showed it and Many will choose to go there. Uh, that's what Jesus said. So you're not Catholic and you're not Christian if you don't believe what you and I just said. Mm-hmm. And that's our, our Lord and our Blessed Mother both teaching us the truth about hell is not a good place to be. Yeah. One of, one of the things I thought was so striking was that Sister Lucy said, had not um, the angel and Our Lady stayed with them, they would have died of fright. Right. Right. That's how, yeah, that's how evil it is. But so you go there, but even something as seemingly insufficient, and this is, people need to understand this, imperfect contrition is enough to save you from the fires of hell because our Lord loves you that much and his mercy is far greater than your sin. And that's really the whole point of our conversation today. So if I may just speak briefly about the parable of the prodigal son because he was all about imperfect contrition, right? We know, we know the story. He, he takes his father's money, his retirement income. He takes it, and he, and he, which he's not entitled to until that father dies. He took it early, putting his father at risk. So that's the fourth commandment. When Jesus was trying to show the infinite love and forgiveness of the father, he didn't use a murderer, should be commandment number five. He didn't use a, a bank thief, like commandment number seven. 
he threw in a little bit of six because that son was messing around as he shouldn't have been. But ultimately, it was uh, is dishonoring the parents. That was the great sinner that made an impact on the Jews that day. Now, the parable didn't use, Jesus changed the parable around. Most people don't understand this. The original parable was like a, a teaching, like we use the boy who cried wolf to teach, don't lie, because when you lie, bad things happen. So the Jews had this parable of the prodigal son to show you better not dishonor your parents, which is commandment number four, which, you know, in the grand scheme of the Decalogue comes before thou shalt not kill. Because I used to think when I was little, killing somebody was a pretty bad thing, and it is. But uh, our but commandment number four came before number five. What does that tell you about what Almighty God thinks about honoring our father and our mother? So anyway, son goes off dishonoring the father, and uh, and then he, he's, he squanders all his money. He's poor. He's slopping about with pigs, which you know to the Jews was a really, really bad thing. It made you unclean, which meant you weren't getting in past the gates of heaven. You were going to go to hell. Uh, so he says to himself, you know how it goes, I'm hungry. And so I'm going to go back and just be a slave, a worker on my father's farm, because even the slaves, his slaves, still got, you know, food. So he didn't go back because he felt he had offended his father, which is perfect contrition. He went back for imperfect contrition. He feared the loss of his next meal. That's, that's pretty imperfect, right? So he, so he goes back, right? Now, in the Jewish parable, the, you know, and, and when Jesus, the, the father's up there on, on the, the porch, right? He sees that son going down, but he doesn't go get him. He doesn't go run to him. No, the son has to come all the way to the, the father, fall on his knees, groveling at the father. I sinned against you, sinned against man, and uh, let me just be a slave. In the Jewish parable, which, which was like our boy who cried wolf, this was a Jewish parable to teach kids, don't dishonor your father. In the Jewish parable, as soon as the son gets through this whole long apology, the father looks at him and says, basically, you are dead to me. Get off my land. Never darken my doorstep again. Well, okay, now watch how Jesus starts to change it. And they immediately got, they start thinking, hey, that's not the way the story goes. That the son's starting to come back, right? And the father runs to the son. That was unheard of in Jewish culture because always the lower level guy ran to the big, you know, when the master says, hey, get me a glass of water, you better run and do it. And in fact, in order to run, he had to pull up your robe so that you could run without tripping. So here's the father running to the son, and the Jews are thinking, that's not the way the story goes. Then the son gets, to, then he gets to the son, right? And the son starts to try to apologize. And the father cuts him off right away. So put the ring on his finger, put new shoes on his feet. Uh, my son, he's, he's, he was dead, but now he's alive. You see, that's exactly opposite. Remember what the dad said to the Jews? or to the to the son he said you're dead to me right jesus flipped it on us flipped it 180 degrees the other direction so remember that the elder son comes in and says hey i've been faithful to you this whole time you didn't give me a goat to to have fun with my friends and the father said you know everything i have son is yours everything heaven is yours son because that's what i have but your, your brother was dead, and now he lives. We must celebrate. That is the mercy of God. If you repent, even just for bad, not good reason, not, not, you know, imperfect contrition, he's still going to celebrate. Heaven rejoices more over that one repentant sinner. Jesus said it so many ways, so many times, to so many different people, in so many different places. 
Heaven rejoices if we just repent like this prodigal son did. Your, your brother was dead and now he lives. Imagine the, the love, only pure love could do that, right? It, it, it taught the Jews that day, the infinite forgiveness of our father. So long as, like every prophet said, like John the Baptist said, like Jesus said, just repent. And it doesn't even have to be for a good reason, but you do, you do still have to say, I'm sorry which is an acknowledgement that he is God, we are not. We're the, he's the creator, we're the created. He commands, we obey. And when we disobey, we must say, I'm sorry. Now, while we're alive, you'll still get that chance, right? Once the, the minute you die, all bets are off. That's when the die is cast, as the saying goes. And, and watch how much our father loves us. He showed us how he gave people throughout salvation history an opportunity to say, I'm sorry. Remember remember in the garden, Adam and Eve, they had everything. There's a lesson there. Everything wasn't enough. It never will be enough. Everything will never be enough. We're always grasping for more. The one thing we don't have. We can have paradise, but we still want that one thing they didn't have. So, that, so what happens? Our father comes down. They go run and hide because they know it's him coming and they know they've sinned. Isn't that what we do? We just run and hide instead of going to him and falling on our knees and saying, Father, for, Father, forgive me, I have sinned. So, so what does our father do? He sees him. He says, why were you hiding? He didn't say, I'm up there watching my monitor and you really disobeyed me. Now here comes punishment. No, no, he asks him a question. Why are you hiding? Well, then now look at, now Cain and Abel. Cain kills his, Cain kills his brother, right? After our Lord said, hey, just do the right thing. Do what Abel did. He, you know, offered the best that he had. So, um, the and what God comes down. What does He say? He said, "Cain." He didn't say, I'm, "I'm you murdered your brother, you loser." Now here comes heaven's fury. No, no. He says, "Cain, where's your brother?" He asked him a question. Gave Cain the opportunity to say, "Father, forgive me, for I've sinned. I just let my anger get the worst of me, and I did something very terrible that I can't reverse." Father, forgive me. He didn't. He said, well, am I my brother's keeper? Wrong thing to say to Almighty God. Right? Now look at, now go forward. Remember, remember Jesus gave the parable about the king who had um, the wedding feast. And the one guy comes in, right? And he's not wearing the robe, which the king provided to all the wedding guests. And, and the king goes up to him. What's he say to him? He doesn't say, hey, you loser, you're not dressed properly. Get out. No, he goes up to him and says, how is it? He says, my friend, how is it that, that you came in? not dressed in the wedding garment, which is confession, isn't it? You're you are washed clean in the blood of the lamb in the confessional. And the guy didn't say, oh, King, I'm so sorry. Forgive me, my Lord. Uh, get, get, just let me do it right now. He didn't know, he, he stood silent. And so what did, what did the King say? Bind his hands and feet and off into the eternal fires that our blessed mother showed those three little children. And then the final example of this is of getting that chance, that last chance to say, I'm sorry, is in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Here comes Judas with the rabble behind him to arrest Jesus, which Jesus knew was happening. He said so at the Last Supper, right? And um, when Judas came, he didn't say, hi, you loser. You're going to have your day here, but wait till tomorrow. Because first of all, you're going to commit suicide. You're going to burn in hell for eternity. No, Jesus asked him a question. Judas, would you betray me with a kiss? You're that close to me, Judas. You've been with me for three years. You're family to me. Because only family gets to kiss another. You think it's odd if everybody went around kissing everybody. No, he 
You got to be close to the person to kiss them. That makes sense. Would you betray me then, Judas, with a kiss? Because that just shows how close you are to me. Would you betray me? Well, then what did Judas do? Here's what he didn't do. He didn't say, oh, Jesus. I'm so sorry. I, I, I made a mistake that I can't fix right now. But before they arrest you, I want you to know, Jesus, that I'm sorry. I, I, I can't make it up to you. There's nothing I can do to fix this. But I am so sorry. If he would have done that, Jesus would have forgiven him on the spot. Because that's what God will do for each one of us. He'll, he'll forgive us. And we see that in the prodigal son. You don't even have to have a good reason. You get, fear, of having, fear of loss of heaven and the pains of hell is enough. But we have but. To get that mercy, which our, our Lord longs to give us, you have to repent. Remember Jesus, we just went through it on Palm Sunday. He's standing over top of the hill of Jerusalem, and there's all the places of the passion. He can see where he's going to be and what's going to happen to him when he's in those places. And what does he say? He laments over Jerusalem. He says, ah, oh, you losers. Okay, you're going to have your day. But when I rise, you're toast. What did he say? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how, how I've longed to gather you to myself like a mother hen gathers her brood under her wings. But, but you would not let me. That's the exact same thing he says to every one of us today. I longed. God, I, I came knowing what you're going to do to me because I love you. I, I want to show my infinite mercy to you. I, here it is. Just take it. Just say, I'm sorry. Repent. And it's yours. My divine mercy, though your sins be as scarlet, the divine mercy is yours. But, but what he's going to say to everybody is, but you would not, you would not let me give you my mercy. You blocked me. You blocked my mercy by your unrepentance. You, you let your sins stand in the way. And once we die, it's too late. That we got to do it now. But in order to do it, we need to know what it is. And you can't just rely upon the priests and the bishops who have led us astray for 50 years. You better know your faith. I think, Father, that's so powerful, particularly for those of us who have sinned grievously, whether we were involved in the killing of innocents with, uh, with abortion, whether we were unfaithful or, um, you know, got into those many sins of the Sixth Commandment whether we dishonored our father and mother, whether we dishonored our Lord um, frequently and left the sacraments altogether. But if we can come with repentance, no matter what we've done, he's still merciful to us. No matter what, he was going to forgive Judas. The one, the one, probably the least likely person I'd ever want to say I was him. The least likely person I ever would want to um, forgive would have been Judas. This great saint of divine mercy, who yes. was asked by our Lord to bring his message of divine mercy to the earth, had an incredible revelation from our Lord on December 17th, 1936. In fact, I'm going to read it to you. Um, this, these were the words of Saint Faustina in her diary on the day of the birth of Jorge Maria Bargoglio, 
now Pope Francis. December 17, 1936. Now get this. These are words from her diary. She says, on the day of his birth in 1936, I have offered this day for priests. I have suffered more today than ever before, both interiorly and exteriorly. I did not know it was possible to suffer so much in one day. I tried to make a holy hour. She continues. Uh, I'll start that over again. I tried to make a holy hour in the course of which my spirit had a taste of the bitterness of the Garden of Gethsemane. That's the garden where Jesus was betrayed by Judas that you just spoke of, Father. I am fighting alone, she says, supported by his arm against all the difficulties that face me like unassailable walls. But I trust in the power of his name and I fear nothing. Father, uh, as we're leaving on this um, show on Divine Mercy, there is a lot that you've always said that priests and bishops particularly have to answer for. Pope Francis is one of those people who have misled others in sometimes the most extreme ways. On this day that uh, Sister Faustina, St. Faustina, writes about the day of his birth, she describes unbelievable suffering, more than she's ever had, and she suffered. She was a suffering soul. What do you make of that? And and so here you have a Judas. Does our yes. Lord even extend the possibility of his mercy to a Pope who has betrayed him in so many ways, has betrayed his body, the Church, in so many ways? as Pope Francis. It is dogmatic that our Lord would extend mercy to every single person up until, as we talked about, they die. If they would just repent. Now people like to think, oh, maybe Hitler repented, maybe Bergoglio repent. Um, here's, and here's how you know that they do not. I've talked about those Canadian bishops in the Winnipeg statement before. If you examine your conscience and you come to understand, which our Lord wants us to, so he's going to help us if we try, the gravity of our sin, um, and realize that we have now endangered eternal souls that will burn in hell for eternity, because we have misled them. You you could not help but go public, as it were. Uh, recant of your misleading people and, and say, I was wrong. I know our Lord of divine mercy, of infinite mercy, will forgive me. But I need to let you know so that you don't go where I should not have led you in the first place. There will be a, you could not help. If you, if you repent, even if you have in, imperfect contrition, if you repent, you cannot do everything you can to make reparation for the error because it has led other souls to choose eternal damnation. And uh, so, uh, whereas theoretically, that gift of mercy was offered to the Jews, it was offered to Judas 
And it certainly is offered to Jorge Bergoglio um, as it is offered to every single one of us. We nevertheless have to repent. And if we repent, we will make reparation. And that's the key sign that you have repented is you'll make reparation. And, and of course, to this day, to this very moment, there's no reparation. happening. There's no repentance and reparation coming out of the white castle today or all these other ones either. So, well, theoretically, yes. Even he could repent. Uh, the likelihood, as St. John Vianney said, I mean, you know, Saint confesses is the likelihood is that's not going to happen. That conversions are rare. The you make little repentances, practice repenting all along the way from sins of transgressing the dogma of the faith, the unchanged and unchangeable truth, the deposit of faith. If you practice that, you're going to do it at the end. Oh, what has he been practicing since day one? He's been practicing leading souls to hell. And so this is no, no accident. It, it is, um, I, this is the first I heard of it. But as we know, there are no accidents in God's uh, salva uh, story of salvation. He puts people in places and at times that are key. And it means something that she suffered more greatly on that day of his birth than any, at any other time. It tells us what we need, as if we don't have enough evidence. I mean, how much, how long are we going to live in the delusion and the denial that he isn't evil? How, how, what more do we need to know apart from the Pachamama that he? And here you have now Saint Faustina, Almighty God through Saint Faustina confirming it. That is a staggering. Fact. Now, I did not that I had any doubts to begin with, but if I did, they're they're gone. That's the day she suffered most. Why? Because he was going to lead most souls astray which he has done and has done since the beginning uh, since his time in saint galen mafia and before he's been since his time in argentina he's been leading leading people astray so okay thank you for for pointing that out john henry because i did not know that i didn't relate that date of birth because oh, i didn't know what day Bergoglio was born but there it is that is not an accident that is divine Might be very interesting, Father. Should uh, should he actually repent, and as you say, do an act of public repentance, turn around. Right. That's that what could we could all hope for, but but you know, don't hold your breath waiting for it. So maybe you know this. I've I heard recently that he doesn't have that much longer to live. That he knows it. That I mean, we're talking months, not past two thousand twenty-two. So his, his time is short. Repent now, Bergoglio. I would rather, you know, honestly, and people get the wrong idea, but I would rather he does repent and, and tell people these are the errors that I have promulgated and perpetuated. I wish he would do that. I would want nothing more than to him to repent. Uh, for the sake, not, and not because I'm so magnanimous towards his soul. I'm more concerned about all these other souls who are being led astray by that guy. Uh, so, yeah, I wish he would, but... Chances are not that good. Let's see. Well, Father, if you could end for us, perhaps with that beautiful prayer that you love. I, I will. I will. Well, let us pray again in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Again, the conversion prayer of divine mercy. You expired, Jesus, but the source of life gushed forth for souls and the ocean of mercy opened up for the whole world. O fount of life, unfathomable divine mercy, 
envelop the whole world and empty yourself out upon us. O blood and water, which gush forth from the heart of Jesus as a fount of mercy for us, I trust in you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so very much, Father. And God bless all of you. We'll see you next time.